Well, today is an exciting day. Today we're going to embark upon a study, a new study. We finished our study of the book of Romans a few weeks ago, and today we're just simply going to turn back to Romans chapter 1 and start all over again. (laughs) Some applause and some sighing. No, that's not what we're going to do. But many of you have been asking uh, what it is we are going to be studying next, and I want to begin a study of Second Peter and following that by the book of Jude over the next several months or whatever it takes. Now, some of you may be asking why. Why, why Second Peter? And it's just been impressed upon my heart over the last several months, but particularly in our recent days, because we are living in a time whereby in our world we are hearing uh, a constant flow. If you're like me and you get emails and you spend any kind of time on any social media platform, there is a constant flow of information of all kinds of things. No, no endless supply of information on any kind of topic. And sadly, much of what we hear is actually false. It's just not true. And we have to be critical about it, what it is we are hearing. We have to be critical to investigate the truth of it before we begin to believe it and before we begin to act upon it. And that is so important for us to do in the world in which we live, but infinitely more important for us to do when it comes to what we hear in the spiritual realm. You can just about let your Bibles open to any book of the Bible, and you can hear warnings from every writer of Scripture to us as believers about false teaching about false doctrine. False teachers and false doctrines have been around since the beginning of time, in fact. Adam and Eve were those who heard the first false message ever preached. It was preached from the serpent himself when he took the words of God and called them into question and said, Has God really said And so when it comes to the spiritual realm, there's nothing more important than you and I be critical of and scrutinize whether it be true or not, whether it be right. So because of this, and because it's such a huge problem, this problem of false teachers, this problem of peddlers of false doctrines and heresies, because it is a constant problem to the church, especially in our day, we're going to study the spiritual protection section of God's Word. Second Peter and Jude. So the purpose of exposing and defeating the invasion of false teachers into the church, and therefore into our lives. That's why I read from 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning just to kind of whet our appetites 
by this reality that the Apostle Peter is saying, I, I, I'm, I'm not saddened by the fact that while what I need to say to you, you already know, but I'm going to say it anyway because reminder is a protection for you. You need to be reminded. In fact, in chapter 3, he says, this is now, beloved, the second letter that I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So even 1 Peter was a reminder. And now here he is again in 2 Peter writing to us by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. That's what he says, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. I'm writing this so that you don't forget, so that you're shored up in your understanding. That's why it's so important for us to study first, second Peter, and then Jude. But before we get to those two books, I want to return to some foundational truth concerning the Word of God. Concerning the Word of God in general and stir us up by way of reminder. Foundational truths concerning the Word of God give us a reminder of the importance of the Word of God for our own lives and as a foundation upon which we can stand with unflinching resolve in our day. Unflinching resolve. It seems today there's many people who are flinching. Many people who say the Word of God is in fact what it says it is, that they believe what it says it is, and yet in the face of threats, in the face of accusation, in the face of all kinds of things going on around them, they're flinching. I don't want us to flinch. I want us as a people of God, as a church of God, to have an unflinching resolve. And no matter what God allows, we will stand on His Word. So, in order to do that, I want us to turn back to a passage we have studied before. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you have your Bibles, open them to Psalm 119. And I want us to focus our attention just on verses 9 through 16 this morning. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. The psalmist says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. For blessed are you, O Lord. So teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts, regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. 
Beloved, that is a heavy text. That is a massive weight upon the heart of each one of us who knows Jesus Christ by faith, especially in the day and age in which we are finding ourselves. These words have been weighing heavy upon my soul in the recent days. As I have been thinking about our time this morning, and I pray that God would allow them to weigh heavy as a reminder upon each and every one of us this morning. It's interesting that when you look at the Hebrew language itself, the first nine letters of the 22 letters of the Hebrew language are also corresponding to numbers in Hebrew. And so when you look at the entirety of Psalm 119 as it's laid out through the 22 Hebrew letters, verses 1 through 8 correspond to the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph. That's why it says that in your notes there. That wasn't written there by the writers of Scripture. That was put there for our help later on. And so that would correspond to the number one. And when you get to the passage that we are in, the Baith, that's how it's pronounced in Hebrew, Baith, not Beth, it is Baith, that also corresponds to the number two. And when you get to the next letter, the Gimel, that is number three, and so on up to nine. But the letter B or Baith in Hebrew also is a word. It is a word in Hebrew which means house, house, Baith. For example, the word Bethlehem, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, is the word Beth Lechem. Beth meaning house, Lechem is bread, so house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. So Beth means house, or Beth means house. Now that may have been on the psalmist's mind as he was writing this out. It may, because this was a a helpful Hebraic way of memorizing those things, it may have been that way. And the reason we have those letters at the top of our thing is because the first letter in the first eight verses of every verse begins with Aleph, begins with that letter. The second stanza, it all begins with Baith, the B. And so it was a way for them to memorize the Scriptures. I don't know if the psalmist had house on his mind when he was thinking of this, but it's interesting in verses 9 through 16, as he is learning and as he is praying about how can a young man keep his life undefiled? The question on his mind as he's praying that, as he's thinking about that. In other words, how can one keep his house? How can one keep that which in he earthly resides, the body itself, the, the, the life itself that he is living today, his earthly house, how can he keep it unstained? In other words, how can he keep that which he is living here on this earth with in such a way that it would be an honor and a glory to God himself? Well, in the first eight verses, he speaks about the value of how this book, the Word of God, can make a life blessed. It's exactly what it says. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, 
who walk according to the law of the Lord. The blameless life is a life of obedience to God, and that obedience comes through faith in Jesus Christ by the empowering of the Holy Spirit as we submit ourselves to the things that God has commanded, to the Word of God itself. That is the way of blamelessness. You're not earning blamelessness. It is the actuality and proof of who you are in Christ as you walk by the Word of God. Blessed are those who observe the testimonies of God, who seek Him with all their heart. So by the time you get to the second part here in verses 9 9 through 16, He is highlighting the intrinsic value of the Word of God for all of life. Similar really to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. There is nothing more of value to us than the Word of God. And this is what the psalmist is highlighting. In other words, the value of this book transforming a life so that it will fulfill the life that God has intended it to do. Knowing that sin defiles every man. Knowing that sin so easily destroys. That it is the factor in which has brought the destruction upon this world. In fact, when Randy was mentioning these flowers before us here this morning and how beautiful they are, I thought to myself, isn't it interesting how beautiful God has allowed fallenness to be? And what will the beauty be of an unfallen world. These flowers are beautiful to us and we all smell them and we go, wow, what beauty that God does. But what will they look like when there is no sin affecting them? That's what sin does. Sin affects all of life. It destroys. And each one of us needs protection against its consequences. The test case here before us in Psalm 119 is this life of the young man. How can the young man keep his way pure? Psalmist may be thinking of himself. May have been David. Reflecting upon his own youthful days, we do not know. But we do know that the Word of God has life-changing power. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, Paul said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The Word of God, that which God uses to transform a life. And so the psalmist asks the question in verse 9, and he quickly answers his question with a very simple statement. Notice what he says in verse 1, or verse 9, I should say. He says, by keeping it according to your word. How can a young man keep his way pure? There's a very simple answer to that. You may have asked that question yourself. How can I make sure my life is honoring and glorifying to God? The answer is very simple. There is no magic ten steps to this. It's just simply this, by keeping it according to the Word of God. We cannot miss the value of those words in our ears. We cannot miss the impact, the weight, the the very reality of what God is saying to us with those ears. For there is no other way to reach the undefilement of life without going down this path. There is no other road. 
There is no other way. We see the world try it in all kinds of different ways throughout the centuries, and especially today. They are dreaming up their own truth, and yet here is the way. Here is the way. Unfortunately for us, these are not words we have never heard. In fact, I would venture to say that we hear them every day as Christians in our own heart as the Holy Spirit confirms with our spirit that we are children of God and impresses upon us the reality that we must obey the Word of God. That we cannot stand with men. We cannot stand on the philosophies of men. We cannot hold to the dreams and whims of men. We must stand on the Word of God even when and especially when it makes no sense to those around us. While our sinful flesh works to convince us that we can achieve the undefiled life without any obedience on our part, our flesh fights against the reality of what God's Word says at every level. It is clear from Psalm 119 here that we must make maximum effort empowered by the Holy Spirit at keeping our lives in line with God's Word. You cannot just take the Word of God, put it under your pillow, sleep on it at night in hopes that you will wake up one day walking according to what God's Word said. It does not work that way. God saved you, empowered you, and has given you and equipped you with the means of obedience. And now you must obey. Now we as Christians must obey the Word of God. And if we do not, we can expect nothing but spiritual failure. And so if I'm going to have success in my spiritual life, then it is only going to come through submission to the Word of God. Why? Why? Well, because it's laid out here for us in these few verses. And the psalmist really, really categorizes them into two major categories. Category number one is that the works of the Word of God in life are Controlling and correcting. We'll look at those in a minute. The works of the Word of God in the life are controlling and correcting. And then the second group is that the worth of the Word of God in life, the worth of the Word of God in life, is such a reality that we must share it, that we must cherish it, and that we must check it. What I mean by that is test it. See if it be true. Hold it to what it says. And all of these are glorious truths for us. Glorious reminders for us. Because each one of us can have a spiritual life that is growing. We might even attest the word successful to it, although that is an overused word today. We want to use the word successful or whatever. What we mean is I can be undefiled by, by the ways of the world. I, I can live this pure life. I can have this pure life. I don't have to go down sinful roads. I, I, I don't have to be deceived by the lies. I don't have to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine as Paul warned Timothy would happen. To those who are unawares, I don't have to have that happen because of the works of the Word of God and because of the worth 
of the Word of God. And I think, beloved, that is where we fail. I think oftentimes in our Christian life, when we're finding ourselves in this state in which we can't seem to to have victory over sin, or we seem to be finding ourselves in this constant state of being deceived by things that are said around us, it's a problem in which is ours, not the words of God. We sin. And I don't believe simply because we don't know the Word of God. No, the reason that we don't know the Word of God is because we don't really value the Word of God. We don't value the Word of God. You're going to notice, by the way, in the book of Second Peter, that knowing is highlighted at a great level. The word gnosis or epignosis is used several times in the book of Second Peter, some 16 times in fact. We even read it this morning in just the first 15 verses. It was used several times already, know or knowing. Why? Because Peter is saying, listen, you know things and you have to know the Word of God if you're going to defend against false teaching. You have to know the implications of what it means by what it says. You have to be implementing those things in your life, or it's very easy to be sidetracked. And we desire to know the Word of God when we value the Word of God. We often don't know it because we don't value it. In other words, we've already embraced false teaching. We've already embraced it. What's the false teaching we embraced? The mantra of our own fleshly lusts and the mantra of the world around us that the Bible really isn't as important as you make it out to be. It isn't our most necessary item in life. You see, we say, okay, yeah, it's an item of my life. It may be an important item of my life, but it is not one, it is not the most important. That's what the psalmist is saying to us. This is what makes this, the words of just these eight verses so heavy upon us, the Word of God is to be the item of our lives because of its works and because of its worth. So what are its works? What are its works? Well, first look with me at verse 10. He says, with all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Now, this is an interesting way to say it, but what the psalmist is really implying here by his words is that the work of the Word of God in a life is that when it's submitted to, it controls life. It controls life. He says, with my whole heart. With my whole heart, he says, I have sought you. 
Listen, beloved, this is one of the greatest secrets of the Christian life, if we can even put it in a category of secrecy, because it's not secret at all. This is the difference between victory in the Christian life and failure in the Christian life, or defeat in the Christian life, if you say. Between standing firm and being swept away with deception. One is wholehearted, and the other is partial-hearted. One is wholehearted, the other is partial-hearted. Years ago, I had the opportunity in our own country to experience military service. I spent seven-plus years in the military, and I quickly realized that as a military soldier, if we were going to win a conflict at all, then we as a whole needed to be wholehearted and not partially hearted. We needed to go and we needed to be determined wholeheartedly to go and to take whatever it is we were commanded to take, whether it was a hill, a place, or invade a country, whatever it was. Sad to say, the majority of American people today have no real commitment to anything like that. No commitment to doing anything together unless it's evil. We are a partially hearted people. And I believe that this is fostered in this country by years and years of lies. Back in the 1970s, early, late 60s, early 70s, we were partially hearted in our commitment to the Vietnam War. We were a divided nation back then politically and in our mindset. And as multitude, thousands of military personnel were sent over to Asia to fight a war, millions were demonstrating and protesting against that war here in America. We see that happening again today in our country, in our current time. Surely that's the recipe for complete defeat. Why? Because we are a half-hearted people. We expect that really in one sense from the world, but we don't expect it from the Christian. We don't expect it from those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are supposed to be the ones who stand firm. Well, listen, beloved, if we are half-hearted in our obedience to God's Word, the result is going to be the same as we see in the world. It's a sure recipe for defeat. And unfortunately, sadly, as a pastor, sadly, as I look at social media and read web pages and get emails from across the country and world, it's happening today in the church. There are church leaders today unwilling to stand for the truth with others who are potentially facing ungodly rulers who are threatening to impose restraints on worship. There are those who at one point would say, I stand on the Word of God, I'm strong in the Word of God, and they would even claim to still be strong in the Word of God, and yet are unwilling to stand firm with another brother who is being threatened. That should not be happening. It's only happening because we lack valuing the Word of God. 
It's the only reason it's happening. The value is set in words only, but not in real conviction. Keeping our way pure will take nothing less than wholehearted commitment to the obedience of the Word of God. Why? Because we are so prone to wander. Notice verse 10, With all my heart I have sought thee, so don't let me wander from your commandments. That's the proneness of our sinfulness. We are prone to wander from it. We need to be reminded of it. We need to remind ourselves every day. We need to fight against that reality of the flesh every day by submission to the Word of God. We are prone to wander. And it is God's Word that will keep us from wandering. God's Word that will keep us from doing what is ungodly. Years ago, one man poignantly said it this way, quote, All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Unquote. All that's necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Well, I think we could say all that is necessary for the triumph of evil in the heart of even a Christian is for a Christian to not value the Word of God. Listen, beloved, if we want to continue to wander into evil, then let's remain half-hearted about our obedience to the Word of God. Let's do nothing. But if we want to live purely, it will take a wholehearted commitment. And the Word of God will control us. Secondly, the works of the Word of God in the life is that it has a correcting effect. It controls but it also corrects. Notice verses 11 and 12. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Jesus Christ Himself, when He walked on the face of this earth, the years of His ministry said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21 in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Value. What you value. It's an axiomatic principle that Jesus is giving Axiomatic, that just simply means the the solution goes without saying. When one side is true, the other side is also true. Whatever you treasure, that's where your heart is. That's an axiomatic principle. Whatever it is we value, that's where our heart is truly located, regardless of what our lips are saying. So this morning as we sit here and we think about our next study, as we think about our time in this world, as we think about the day and age in which we live, let's not play games with ourselves. Let's not play games. I think Peter says that in Second Peter in this way, make sure of your salvation, right? He says, ensure, think about this, think about your life, think about your heart, 
Let's not play games with ourselves. Let's not try to squeeze away from reality. Because that's what our heart wants to do. Get out. It's hot in here. I don't want to have anything to do with that. No, I want us to survey our heart this morning. Survey in your own heart what you truly spend your time with. Survey that in your own heart. All things have been given to us by God. We are to enjoy the gifts that God has given to us by God. It isn't that they are evil in and of themselves. It isn't that even spending time with them are evil in and of yourselves. But we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it do I spend my time with? And you quickly find out where your treasure is. Listen, hiding God's word in your heart. He says, I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hiding God's word in our heart or the lack of hiding it in our heart has nothing to do with the difficulty of it. Has nothing to do with the effort that it might take in order for us to do that. No, hiding the word of God in our heart has everything to do with what we treasure what we treasure. And if we treasured the Word of God above other things, it would automatically fill our hearts. Why? Because we'd value it most. We'd be in it most. Just by simple saturation, we would have it in our heart. One commentator put it this way. I think it's helpful. He said, quote, when Satan tempted Christ in the wilderness, Christ answered, it is written. He defeated Satan with the same weapon that God had placed in the hands of Adam and Eve. When Eve was tempted, she needed only to say, no, this is what God said. Follow it and do it. Satan would have been defeated. But Eve tossed the weapon aside. She relied on her own reasoning. And then Adam comes along and he tosses it away as well. And he relies on his own emotions. Both were defeated. Listen, the more we know the Word of God, the more we will love to follow after the Word of God. And the more that we love to follow after the Word of God, the more we will live the Word of God. The two always work together. You cannot separate those two realities. God's Word will be the treasure of, or will be the treasure of our hearts if God is the treasure of our hearts. So when God's Word is treasured, it has a correcting effect. It keeps us going down the straight line. It controls us, and it corrects us. So the works and the Word of God in life are those two realities if we will obey them. But second, the writer here says there is a worth to the Word of God, a worth to the Word of God in verses 13 through 16. 
And notice, because God's Word is most valuable of all that we possess, then we must never hold back the proclamation of the Word of God. Notice what he says here in verse 13. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. So, to obey the Word of God, I must know the Word of God, and I must know the Word of God if I am to be sharing the Word of God. Uh, We're not saying you must know it perfectly, you must know every detail, you must know every doctrine, you must know all of those things. But you must know this reality, that what God says is absolute truth and nothing can come against that. You must know that. And you must let people know that you know that and you stand on that. And you must tell them that you know that because Jesus Christ has filled your heart because you believe what God said about His Son and you have repented of your sins and you believe the Scriptures and you desire to follow after the Scriptures. So you must know the Word of God and to know the Word of God you must commit time to the Word of God. Beloved, can I be honest with you this morning? If you are like me, and I am assuming that you are, I can always find time to do that which is easy. I can always find time to do that which is easy. When it's something easy, I rarely find myself saying, you know, I just don't have time for that. Do you like that? You like me with that? Something easy comes along? Yeah, I could. Sure, no problem. No problem. I can do that. I have time. Spending time in the most important book that has ever been given to mankind, meditating on God's Word, expending mental effort and the spiritual effort to live like Christ, guess what? That takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. It's difficult. And surely, surely my flesh is crying out all the time. Oh, you can take some time to watch that TV program. Surely take some time to answer that interrupting phone call that you really don't want to answer, but because it takes you away from what's hard, you'll answer the phone call. Spend countless hours surveying the latest Facebook information. What a waste of time. All of it truly reveals that which is most valuable. The psalmist says that I must share the whole counsel of God. With my lips I have told of a few of the things that God has said. Not what he says. He says, with my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. The whole counsel of God. That means I have to know the whole counsel of God and therefore I need to put time to know it. This is why Peter emphasizes this whole idea of knowledge so much. You have to know the Word of God. Nobody, and I mean nobody, ever mastered Scripture by occasionally opening the Scriptures. Nobody. So get to know the Word. Get to know the Word. Share the Word. And when you do, be ready. Be ready because 
because it is not popular today. When we declare what God says on an issue, the world says, really? We're not going to tolerate that. We see it happening today. It is even being highlighted more and more and more today. It's going to take courage. It's going to take resolve. It's going to take conviction. It's going to take knowing. Not simply in intellectual thought, but knowing in your experiential knowledge the worth of the Word of God. It has been said in the past, quote, in the Bible, we have all the treasures of wisdom. It has the wisdom a politician needs in the halls of Congress for enacting wise and right legislation. It has all the wisdom a teacher needs in the classroom for molding the lives and characters of boys and girls. And has all the wisdom a parent will ever need for dealing with family life. Unquote. We have all we need, Peter says, for life and for godliness. All we need. You need nothing else. You don't need the philosophies of men. You don't need the psychologized nonsense of the observations of men about the behaviors of men. Fallen man has no idea what fallen men do and how to do it right. We need to know the Word of God. We need to know this book so that we can tell others about the God of this book. So because God's Word is the most valuable possession we have, we must share it. We must share it. Secondly, he says, we we must cherish it. We must cherish it. The worth of the Word of God is so worthy. It's, it's, wor- it's the most value, so we share it and we cherish it. Notice verses 14 and 15. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard thy ways. I'm so grateful the psalmist says this. This is such a rich reminder for my own soul. I'm so thankful that God cares so much about us. Our loving Father cares so much about us that He desires to change us. Think with me about what He's saying. Just let this ring in your ears. I have rejoiced in what Your Word tells me Think about that. Put yourself there. I have rejoiced in what your word tells me more than what? More than all riches. Ouch. God, I don't don't like you in my kitchen. It's too hot. Does that crush you? You think about it? I have rejoiced in your word above all riches. In other words, do I consider the Bible the most valuable treasure I have? I dare say that each of us 
We received a phone call tonight saying we have been given a check for an amount of money that we've never could spend in a lifetime. We would be rejoicing. We would be sending out a shout of some kind of joy. Like the word here, rejoice, is a simple Hebrew word, the word sus. It means to display joy. To display joy. It's the idea of the, the action that comes from this exuberance on the inside. I've displayed this joy. I've displayed this joy. Think about it. If that kind of call came to you about some kind of sum of money, you would display joy. That's what makes it so heavy. The psalmist is saying to us, I have put a greater display of joy when I follow the Word of God. I have a greater display of joy in the Word of God. Here's the question. What excites us most? That's the question. What excites us most? Does our possession of the Word of God Send us into the greatest display of joy. I've been places in the world where simply having a Bible was the greatest possession a person had. I've seen older ladies walk miles and climb 26 floors of concrete steps in China just to hear the Word of God talk. Imagine for a moment if you died today without ever hearing the gospel. Without ever hearing about faith in Jesus Christ. Imagine that for just a moment, if you can. Imagine if you knew nothing of forgiveness. Imagine today if in your mind you can imagine nothing by way of experience of the absolute assurance of being at peace with the creator of the universe. Imagine never knowing that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Imagine if you never knew what it meant to be free from sin's guilt. Beloved, imagine not having truth. Imagine not having truth. Psalmist says, I cherish the word, and because of that, I meditate on it always. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I'm sure if we won that prize money, if someone called us up, said that we would probably study it, we would probably think about it often, and we would think of ways in which we could spend it. It would occupy our thoughts. Well, beloved, the psalmist says that's what happens when we cherish something of worth. We cherish it. 
So how often are we thinking of God's word? How often is it on our minds? How often are we meditating on it? Thinking about what it says and thinking about the implications of it for our lives that we might regard its ways. God's word has worth for our life, so we have to share it. God's word has worth for our lives. We must cherish it above all else. And then lastly, the psalmist says, we need to check it. We need to check it. What I mean by that is we need to test it. Test it. Notice verse 16. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. This is a test. He has has asked himself the question in verse 9. He has reiterated the realities and truth about the worth and the value of God's word about what it does in his life when he responds to it. And therefore he says, okay, I'm going to put this to the test. I'm going to check it. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Listen, it does us no good to read it. It does us no good to put it back on the shelf and never do it. We might as well be just picking up any book. We need to put it to the test. We need to practice it in our lives. Let the Word of God call the shots in our lives and see what it will do. See what it will accomplish. King David in the Old Testament had several times where he could have killed Saul. David had been anointed the king. Saul was unwilling to give up the throne Saul was trying to kill David. David had opportunity after opportunity in order for him to kill Saul himself. But instead of taking things into his own hands, what did David do? David remembered what God had said. And David said, no, I will not touch the anointed of God. Even though God has granted me the kingdom, I will let God grant that in his time and not mine. Instead of following his own will, instead of doing what he wanted, David submitted himself in that moment to God's will and trusted God by obedience. We certainly know the failures of David. God has certainly listed some of the victories as he submitted himself to the word of God. David put God's word to the test in his life and it kept David from sin. Maybe it's David who is writing these words. The scriptures are full of those kinds of implicational realities for us. We'll simply obey. We'll simply do what the Word of God says and not forget His Word. Right? He says, I shall delight, I shall not forget. That's going to take effort. It's going to take work. It's going to take time. But that is our marching orders. We can really end our time this morning with just the question that we asked at the beginning. The question that the psalmist asks. How can we live undefiled lives? How can we ensure that we're not taken captive by the false things that are going on around us? How can we be ensure how can we ensure that we can 
protect, be protected from and protect others from false teaching that is around us all the time. It is by keeping our lives according to the word of God. There is nothing more we need for life and godliness. Well, that's where we're heading, folks. That's where we're going to spend our time over the next several weeks, and I'm sure it will be an enriching time for our hearts as we meditate on the Word of God together. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Lord, for this this brief time in your Word, even this morning, pressing upon our hearts the reality of the worth of your word and the works that your word does in us. Lord, every moment that we open your word and we put our hearts to know it, we are changed. Our world today is in such confusion. More than ever before, at least it's on display. And we are the people of God We have the most important words ever given to man. Help us be a voice to that end. Help us be a committed, courageous voice. Let's not succumb to the whims of our own fleshly fears and the desires of men. Help us not live with the idols of the creature comfort, the ease, safety, all of these things that we long for in our own flesh, and maybe you are not providing. For your glory and because of your grace and mercy, you desire for us to suffer some so that we might be greater testimonies for you. We don't know, but Lord, we want to trust you, so help us do that faithfully. Help us be enriched as we spend time in your word so that we might know it. Help us to treasure it above all things. Display the greatest joy of our heart when we have the Word and know the Word. And may it protect us. Because nothing is more powerful than you. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You have promised it. You have stated it. You are unchanging. And we trust it. Thank you for our time. Thank you for each one of these dear saints of yours. Lord, use them in mighty ways for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.